Welcome to Food and Loathing, the podcast that does more to work up your appetite than a trip to the dispensary, and then takes some time to tell you what to buy if you're headed to that dispensary anyway. I'm your host, Al Mancini, a guy who eats for a living and lives to talk about eating. In our co-host spot this week, lending a lot of credibility to my otherwise random babblings, is Chef Rick Moonen. And our producer, Rich Johnson, is engineering it all, trying to make sure that even when I'm saying something stupid, it sounds good in your ears. I can't properly express how excited I am for today's show because we're finally ready to share the first portion of my extended Jose Andres interview. Man, Rick, I've been chomping at the bits to tell people about this one. I'm chomping. We also have some news that would interest chefs out there. Details on how you can enter to win your own restaurant in downtown Las Vegas, as long as it's a coffee shop or a diner or a deli. We'll hear from the local developer that's giving it away. That's really all you need is a coffee shop, a diner, and or a deli. Oh, I knew this was going to register. I knew this was going to be a rich story. But first, we're going to tell you about where we've been since you last heard from us. Rick, what have you been up to? Uh, Al, let me see. Uh, Last week, uh, the owner of the company I work for, uh, Perry's, Chris Perry, was in town, and uh, he, he likes to stay at the Wynn. So, uh, ain't we, nothing wrong with that. No, no, that's his place. He, he's comfortable there. People recognize him. He's, you know, he, he, he's, he knows his way around. So he goes there and he has a lot of fun. He likes to gamble. He likes to play blackjack. But, you know, we, we had to go to dinner. So uh, I made reservations at Casa Playa because he's never been there. And uh, they, can, they, they, they continue to deliver a really, really cool, wonderful experience. You know, them. they fill a nice niche, I think. Right. I, I like that Elio was in there before. Super elevated, very, mm-hmm. very high end with wind for wins clientele. And I would have loved to have seen Ilya work, but I think when they've rebranded it as Casa Playa, it captures a bit more of that beach party vibe that's mm-hmm. out the window at Encore Beach Club. It's definitely more clubby, you know, in the way in its atmosphere, the way people dress. And if you enjoy that, and I like that atmosphere, especially, you know, it's very, uh, I love the people watch, you know, I mean, one of the reasons I go to the strip rather than just to a good restaurant off strip, which I like to support, obviously, but I I like the strip atmosphere when it's done in manner in which I know what I'm expecting and they deliver exactly what I'm looking for there. As a matter of fact, uh, was Noel. The the guy that's in, uh, I probably got his name wrong, but it doesn't matter. He's he, he's responsible for the mezcals and the tequilas. He's he's got a deep knowledge. Came in on his day off because you know I was coming in and he knew I wanted wow. to uh, impress my my, my boss. Nice. You know? So it was a great experience. And then the weekend, uh, my wife and I flew out to San Diego to uh, attend a wedding. So uh, you know her goddaughter knew the you know, the parents of this of the of the bride for since we were 14 years old type of thing. So I didn't know anyone when I got there, but by the time I left, I knew everyone. It was a great. <laughs> I was crying. Mescal will do that. Yeah. <laughs> no mescal actually. It was more of a, a bur- romance. More, more of a bourbon thing. So that's uh, that's my update. Cool. Um, next time you're in San Diego, remember our friend Mike Miner is out there at the Marine Club. Michael was in Vegas. As a matter of fact, I had brunch. We had went out once, and we were at the uh, the uh, what is it, the San Diego? Um, no, La Jolla. Sorry, we're in La Jolla. So it's La Jolla Tennis and Beach Club, where the Marine Room is, where he is the chef, the executive chef. I got him that job. I introduced him to Bernard, who was a chef there for many, 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 many years. Mike wanted to go to San Diego. I said, oh, let me put you two together. Turned out that Bernard was looking to uh, make an exit. He was looking for an exit plan. So uh, Mike fit right in, and he's doing a great job. Well, yeah, and he was just back in Las Vegas. He's probably listening to this now saying, hey, asshole, you never texted me to go out and grab that drink. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Mike. <laughs> Rich, what about you? What have you been up to, man? I've made it to a Resorts World a couple of days ago back. Uh, I've been there maybe uh, twice since we did our inaugural episode there. I wanted to graze the famous Eats Food Hall, and I ended up having half of one thing at one place. Because it was filling. <laughs> it was pretty good. The, the galing clay pot rice, my wife and I. That's a good dish. Split the chicken bowl, enough for the two of us. Mm. Uh, so grazing went out the door. <laughs> uh, it's the first time I used their little kiosk thing to order. And that was very nice and very convenient. All the restaurants, the logos there. Because I'd forgotten the name of it, but I remembered the logo. And I, oh, yeah, that one. So, so I hit that. Uh, the one concern was there's four people in there. Everybody seemed to be working hard. But it was 15 minutes for the dish. I know it's not 
fast food. It's street food, which is a different deal. But it seemed where there was only two people ahead of me, and they also ordered the chicken thing. So they make three orders of something in one pot at it's, a time. It, it's hard to judge when you should be pissed off about a long wait these yeah. days. Like mm-hmm. when you, you realize what's going on with staffing, you yeah. know what I mean? Oh, yeah, it, but, it, it can be a bitch because at the end of the day, we still all get hungry yeah. and we want to eat, yep, right? Yep, like, yep. you know, the economy is the economy. It looked to be adequately staffed. Everybody was doing, nobody was seeming to be frantic. But I thought if it took me 15 minutes and it was just the three orders of chicken from the one thing of which I got one order, mm-hmm. what happens when there's 10 people waiting? That might there's be There's no rhyme or reason. Long. Yeah. Uh, I got yeah. this so, stuff again. Unless, so then we, we headed off to uh, Joanna's <laughs> new most favorite coffee shop, and mine too, I think, Publicus downtown, Fremont mm. there, and uh, for lattes. Uh, feeling the pain of being a former pastry chef who has now developed a, a lactose intolerance, uh, she had the oat okay. milk latte. She said it was thick, and it was hot, it was creamy, it was luscious. She has not been a fan of the so-called milks made from plants. She went through the almond and, and, and everything else, but she finds that the oat is the least awful and whatever brand they're using at publicus it, it really works and it's heart healthy how do you milk an oat yeah <laughs> very, very carefully yeah. i had and i stepped in uh, to something the vegan carrot cake over there at publicus it was great you know we know that it's not the carrots that make the carrot cake it's the buttercream frosting mm-hmm. this was about a, an inch thick and whatever they do I didn't even ask because it satisfied me. It was it was pretty pretty good. Carrots are my second least favorite ingredient, and making them into cake does not do does not win me over. <laughs> Carrot soup is my least favorite. Yeah. Soup to make. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one other shout out: uh, the bagel joint that is closest to my house called Life's a Bagel, which is in the strip mall next to the Smiths at Summerlin at Rampart and Lake Mead. I'm there like twice a week now, alternating between the lox sandwich with all the fixings, mm. and the sausage, egg, and cheese sandwich on a bagel. Sometimes sesame, sometimes plain. You're always toasted. And every time I order the one, I long for the other until the one I ordered shows up, and then I just chow it down and have a great time. <laughs> cool. Well, sounds good. Um, if I ever am in your neighborhood, there you go. dropping off a cheesecake or something, I'll, I'll pick up a bagel this is there. When, this <laughs> yeah. is when Joanna's not made bagels, which she did this morning, so I had my own She bagel. does look good. Oh, you're spoiled. Oh, yeah, I am. I had a few good meals this week, but I got to say, I'm most excited actually about um, someone else's meal. Because while I was interviewing um, Trenton Garvey last week, the winner of Hell's Kitchen, yeah. we got to, t- he and his fiance and I got to talking about restaurants. I mean, the, the, the young young kids, right? Like mm-hmm. early 20s, new to Las Vegas. He's working in the strip, running Gordon Ramsay Steak, doesn't know Las Vegas, living way out in Hendertucky, right? So I'm right. like, man, you've got to, you got to go to the Arts District. I mean, I, I, I recommended probably 25 restaurants, mm-hmm. but I, I leaned heavy into the Arts District. I got a text from him. He said, I'm going to Main Street Provisions tonight. I was so happy because I'm really infatuated with that restaurant right now. They do a great job. Um, So then I saw that he posted on social media that he had a good time there. And that makes me really happy. You know, I mean, that's and also I then I bumped into um, to Justin Kingsley Hall and Mm -hmm. Chef Jessica at Vegas Test Kitchen the next day. And I had texted them and said, hey, these, these kids are coming in. I know kids, they're executive chef but for me i'm old right they're kids oh they're kids <laughs> and right and they, they they took the time to to talk to them and tell them a lot about las vegas and i'm like man that is that's the reason i don't want to sound corny or whatever yeah. but that's the reason i do this podcast that's the reason i write about food put people in restaurants they're going to love let them learn more connect to other people and to be able to do that for a guy who is the executive chef of gordon ramsay steak yeah. and put him in touch with some really talented chefs and and get him, him and his his fiance a meal they like that made me feel you know kind of really happy about what That'll i do fire him up man you introduce him to the culture of the hospitality industry in Las Vegas, which is very much alive in downtown Las Vegas. You know, I mean, Main Street is, yeah. is I've, I've watched it expand. I mean, it's it's palatable, it's fun, it's delicious. And um, that's really cool that you, yeah. you, you, pulled, you pulled him down there. Yeah, man, I, I got him down there, that made me test. happy. <laughs> um, as I mentioned, I saw Justin and Jessica at Vegas Test Kitchen on Saturday. The Test Kitchen was celebrating their one year anniversary. Uh, then on Sunday, Main Street Provision celebrated its own one year anniversary. I missed that because I was at a Golden Knights game eating a Snapper Raza hot dog yeah. outside Yay. section 112 in the fortress. <laughs> and man, I just, I had a minute. I wasn't even stoned or anything, but I had a minute. <laughs> and I thought, you know, talk about three local superstars who did great things during this pandemic. Ma- you know, th- these are one year anniversaries for two places, Main Street Provisions, Vegas Test Kitchen, and then Snapper Razzo, 
practically non-existent last fall. Now they're all three of those places are part of the fabric of this community. We had the worst year that people could imagine, and yet creative people shine. That's right. And that's amazing to me, man. And that's a, that's a testament. No matter how tough shit gets, man, you can do it, you know? Agreed. Agreed. No, man, Ralph has done a great job for us. You know, he's just... Still got a couple in the freezer waiting for a nice fresh bun. Moving from the Snapo Razzos, um, I did the six-course tasting menu at the Cirque. The place is amazing, as always. The magic never fades at the Cirque. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, look, I'll be fair. You get jaded in this job. Sometimes you're like, oh, well, no, nobody wowed me, right? But that's just because I'm so used to being wowed. Yeah. Um, there's a certain comfort though in the fact that Le Cirque just stays classic all the time and they yeah how much more do you need to do than what they've always done like I don't know that you can improve and they've got a great new chef I don't know that you could take it up to another level or to another notch because it's fucking Le Cirque not without going down weird alleyways keep it real keep it what it is people know what they're going to get there it's where I had my wedding reception when I married Ronnie 10 years ago and what's what's the bite these days at the newly reopened Cirque Cirque for for the full deal because they don't do a menu anymore it's just no dagger stone um i'm i'm not sure the one that i had the six courses but i mean i think we're talking in the three to four hundred range yeah. depending on whether you do per head whether you do six or ten courses mm-hmm. it's only a tasting menu at this point and I, i'm sorry that i don't have the number in front of me but yeah. expect that you're going to blow a grand if you're going to go in there and have wine and eat yeah. and do the two whole deal you, yeah. for two people um uh, also, I attended the memorial for Chris Heron, uh, had to be moved to a larger space, so that made me feel good that so many people came out. Afterwards, I went over to Vegas Test Kitchen for Contrapunto, a Vegas Italian pop-up by Veggie Nation's Donald Lemperl. Um, some of the dishes were really, really good. I hope this turns into a new brick-and-mortar vegan spot, mm. man, because you know the pasta vajol I had was really, really good, truffle mushroom lasagna that... I mean, it would have been good without the truffles. You know, sometimes people just shake yeah. truffles and it's <laughs> like, oh, yeah, I like yeah. truffles. But it was great. So um, I'm happy about that. Finally, it is time. The first half of my extensive conversation with the great Jose Andreas. This is Food and Loathing. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. And welcome back. Before we dive into my conversation with Chef Jose Andres, I guess we should just kind of set the scene for what that night was like, yeah. man. Yeah. You, you've met the man. You've hung out with him. I don't know if he's if you're a friend of his. I or, consider him a friend. Yeah, he's... You know, first, I got to say, you don't want to give somebody's resume before you talk about him or do the intro. If I were to write out his intro, it would be impossible to talk about all the things that blow me away mm-hmm. because we forget, like we we forget like some of the shit that made him cool. I mean, the work that he did at El Bulli with Ferran and- Andrea would, would not have, we would not have, he calls it Spanish avant-garde. Everybody else calls it molecular gastronomy. Right. Um, we wouldn't ha- have had that trend for good or for bad if it wasn't for the work that they did together. Absolutely. And he brought tapas to the U.S., yeah, they would have come, but they wouldn't have gotten popular before, you know, as quickly as they did without him. That's right. he, he used to smuggle in the Iberico hams until he had to <laughs> lobby Congress to make it legal to get those foods. So if you're eating real Iberico, you have him to thank for that. The work he's done with World Central Kitchen is brilliant. I mean, shit, this guy tangled with Donald Trump and kind of emerged unscathed. And no matter what you that's think right. about, and yeah. that's because he has such Flipped a great bird, heart, you know? See. That's right. Said so no way. Yeah. But, yeah. but he met, and you know, whatever you think about the former president, and not a lot of people come out of a, a thing with, you know, come out of a mess with him unscathed. Yeah. And yet, and, and as we'll get into during this interview, maybe not today's segment, I think he can handle politics because he does it with a kind heart and he really gives a shit. So um, 
I went over there. They told me that we were going to be eating at the table. Rich and I were terrified. We weren't going to be able to mic the table with all this food coming down. Uh, Jose said, what do you want to do? I said, can we do the interview first? So he took me into a side room. We did the interview first. But I would be remiss if I didn't say he then had, we spent three hours eating together afterwards. And man, this guy... He orders everything on the menu. He he has it come to the table. He's there to inspect it. And Rich, Rick, you know about this. You yeah. go in, you want to see how your team's doing, Absolutely. especially after a year and a half away. And, um, you know, and he was sending things back. This plate, you know, man, make the plate warmer when it comes out. Just the little things, but the, the attention to detail, the perfection. Mm-hmm. Um, but then he would take a ribeye and he, he had the ribeye delivered and he started cutting it apart a little bit of piece. He's like, this is four different cuts of steak, Al. Let me show you how. And he, he separated it, then took a raw one, sent it back, had it delivered on five different plates or four different plates so I could see how each part of the ribeye yep. tasted differently. Oh, Spinalis. Oh. Yeah. He took the beef trimmings and he was chopping them up and he's just the fat, the fat, the fat. And his, the president of Think Food Group says to me like, oh man, this is my favorite game that he plays. And I'm like, what's going to happen? And he's like, no, you just watch. (laughs) And next thing you know, this massive tin of caviar arrives at the table (laughs) and he starts piling caviar on top of the beef fat. And then, (sighs) and the one thing that he would do is he'd have like an entire chicken delivered. He, he would then take everything on the plate and arrange it to what he thought would be one perfect forkful mm-hmm. and then hand me that fork so I could eat it. Oh. And if there was one grain, like he would stop me on the way to my mouth and go, no, no, wait, one, one put one more crumble of salt on it. Right. Yeah. And go, that's how I want you to taste it. Right. Wow, you're, so. you're very fortunate. That <laughs> oh, whole experience man. is uh, the envy of anybody that knows yeah. anything about cuisine. This not, not always a generous man, but he's real. Yeah, real, and then you got to do that. I know, man, and I feel very fortunate. And um, here's a little bit of um, what Jose and I had to say to each other, part one. Thank you for inviting me in. You know, I love bizarre meat, and I'm not even a steakhouse fan. And this is one of my top five restaurants in every list that I put together. So, man, it's great to be here and to have you in the house. Welcome back to Las Vegas, Chef. How long has it been? Um, oh, I mean, it's always great to be with you. Um, you. You are fun, and more than that, you are super smart about not only food in Las Vegas, but food in general. So for me to be with you is always... I think every time we're together, we have... Uh, a fun time, whatever that means. Yeah, I always have a great time, man. Um, and you know what? I introduced my mom and my aunt to you that one time. They were fresh off the yep. plane, and they still talk yep. about it. Um, that was one of their, their greatest moments in Las Vegas. So I think last time I was in Vegas uh, was around October, November 2019. I was supposed to be coming back again in March, April yeah. 2020. But then we saw that <laughs> the wall as we knew it. Uh, was coming to a halt, right? And and for me, like many of us, it's been probably this most fas- fascinating movie that uh, everybody wanted to be in a movie, mm-hmm. seems. I think we've all, on planet Earth, we've been in a movie in real time. <laughs> yes, and it's been a little bit of a frightening movie and a, a little bit of a... a, a I guess a horror film for some people and you've you've seen the, the worst of it and you've seen the best of it um, what are your thoughts first before we talk about what you've seen while you've been away what are your first thoughts on Vegas being back how's the city look how do you think we've held up well I've been here already a couple of uh, days 48 hours and, and you know uh, it's still ways to go but it seems Vegas is slowly but surely is coming back to that place uh, in the middle of the desert an impossible place like the like this was the land of us <laughs> yeah. where slowly but surely people are here people live here like in so many other pl- places in America around the world but this is a place where where people want to come from different parts of America and the world and and bring friends and family and have a good time and and, and go to place and go to great restaurants and yes throw some money and try their luck at the casino and so many other things that we don't even know about Vegas when you don't move away from the strip where Las Vegas and Nevada is a fascinating place and we know it, right? So, so far it's great to see that people are coming back, that slowly but surely things look hopeful. Even even we keep talking about COVID seems every other hour of our lives uh, with mm. new, new viruses popping up right and left and scaring all of us, but again, uh, I think in these moments, you said it, uh, I've seen maybe some of the most difficult moments, but then I've seen the best of us in every corner. 
communities coming together to support the community uh, in very difficult times. Americans building longer tables to try to help fellow Americans that they were having maybe a harder time than any of us we had. And and me, I've seen so many so many good people doing amazing things beyond the impossible. That this gives me a lot of hope that 2022 and beyond, we're going to give thanks to everything we had. Because we know that sometimes we are always on the edge of losing everything we had. Yeah. Our way of life or friends or or experiences. So I look very hopeful and for me being again in Vegas and seeing Vegas slowly but surely becoming again what Vegas has always been, a place of of coming together, of celebration, of, of, of giving thanks and having a good time with friends and family. Uh, I think this is a good story. That's the good news. How we, we know how you have been out there helping people who were affected by this this crisis, but how has this crisis affected you personally? Well, um, you know, sometimes people have things that I'm this kind of guy that I don't know. Some some people say like if I'm superhuman because it seems I'm always uh, stopping or non-stopping. Um, but me, you know, I, I, I've been very lucky because I have an amazing wife and three children, which the good thing is that when we all had to... Amy sorry. Oh, Amy. <laughs> hey, Amy. Uh, friends uh, calling. Everybody knows Amy. Yes. Uh, Amy we love like Amy. A good friend. Um, but for me, you know, um, I kind of, I had to... I stretch myself in ways I never thought was possible. I think that's me, but I know every one of us, we had to stretch ourselves. We had to adapt. We had to bring the best within us in moments that maybe, you know, you didn't know how you were going to. Uh, I'm a lucky guy. I have a good a good way of life. I get a good home. I, I had some money in the bank. But then all of a sudden you have restaurants and everything shuts down and and you have people that work with you that all of a sudden you don't even know how you can keep them in the payroll because you don't have any money to keep paying salaries of hundreds of people. But but what I've been going through is not any different than what every other person has been going through, right? Mm-hmm. So for me, I was living like a double life. No, Sometimes I had to be showing a strength in front of a lot of people that they are looking at me for for being the leader, but was sometimes you wake up in the morning and you look in the mirror and you say, man, I'm getting out of this hole, right? But I knew that we were all in the same hole and we could do two things, right? Um, keep complaining and keep digging and the hole only gets deeper. Or you say, stop digging and say, how we get out of this? And I did it many ways. First, taking care of obviously my family, we all had to do that. Our friends, making sure everybody was okay. And then uh, the restaurant community, which is the only one I know and the one I love. How we took care of them. We did this through different efforts. Well, through loving Congress about how they were going to support the restaurant industry. Or what I did through, obviously, World Central Kitchen, which was, okay, we're going to have people going hungry because people are losing their jobs right and left. And and we're going to have hospitals that nobody knows where the food is coming from or elderly homes or homeless shelters or and where the COVID was creating crisis uh, one week at a time in different parts of America, at times in different parts of the world. It's like, I cannot stay home even. For me, it will be the easiest. I need to go out there and start finding solutions. So that's why I was so happy that we were able to put almost 3,000 restaurants across America doing close to half a million meals a day, mm-hmm. which maybe was only a deep, uh, the tip of the iceberg, a drop of water in the, in the ocean of, of problems. But uh, I'm happy we were able to show ways that we could come up with creative solutions to uh, transform problems into opportunities. That is what gave me kind of the motivation to don't complain, (laughs) don't put my head down in the dirt, and to say, you know, we have a problem. The only way we're going to come out out of this problem is as we the people together working hard and trying to transform every mayhem and problem into an opportunity that's that's how i deal with this like i'm sure you and many others right 
Um, first, you one of my favorite dishes just arrived at our table. This, uh, before I ask the next question, and thank you so much for that answer, but before I ask the next question, I'm standing here with your foie gras cotton candy. Is this for me or is this yours? That's Can yours. I eat this? Okay. This you is, see, I lost weight. You I'm lost a lot of I weight. I lost 78 pounds in this pandemic. And people want to know how you did that. <laughs> By the way. Well, by not being every day in the restaurant at times, <laughs> even I've been feeding a lot of people uh, and being active, that helped. But then I was very conscious, no? We knew COVID. We are slightly healthier. We have better chances to to fight it. And I lost the weight by, you know, committing. I did some fastings. Um, uh, then I kept the, 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 the weight uh, away, eating more vegetables, more fruits, more sports, more running, more walking. Mm-hmm. And at the end, I realized that the profession I love, um, sometimes, and I'm saying this in a very pragmatic way, mm-hmm. we can be part of the problem too, right? Yeah. We give big portions. Um, we, we send extra food to the people. With me, I realized that maybe we should rechange the ways uh, that food m- must be always a celebration. But maybe sometimes we shouldn't drink so much. We should drink less but better. Right. We shouldn't eat so much. We should eat maybe less, but better. So this pandemic, I think, has been an amazing year and a half also of uh, rethinking who we are, who we can be, mm-hmm. and to make sure that food is the celebration it is, the, the, to give giving food the love it deserves, but understanding that food can become a problem. Food is hunger. Food is obesity. Food is immigration. Food is... Um, uh, underpaying people that sometimes the people that feed America cannot feed themselves. And right. you start asking yourself those questions and say, how can we do better? Yeah. Uh, but still making sure that there's no regrets. Food should be always a celebration. Uh, I'm not changing that. You know how much I love food and, right. and, and, and cooking for people and celebrating longer tables, no higher walls. But in a pragmatic way, I think it's good also to ask ourselves, uh, the way we've been doing it is the right way, and mm-hmm. maybe we should not be thinking what's a better way. So well, here we are with cotton candy yes, for foie gras cotton candy. Coming out of a pandemic. Yes. I love that dish. It brings joy because it's my childhood. brings joy because it's an ingredient that's controversial. We know mm-hmm. it. Right. But shit, it's farmers doing a very good job taking care of ducks and producing an amazing an amazing thing like it's for gras I'm putting two things I love for gras and cotton candy together into one bite and and that's at the end what I do right use yeah. I, do, I always say I don't cook for what people want I cook for what I like right. because when people come to my restaurant the same way that people listen to your writings or to your podcast about where they should be eating or how they should be eating or people come to people like us for our opinions so me, I want not to cook what they want. I know that they are looking for me to tell them what I think they should be right. eating. They are putting their faith in me for for that. So this is a way to say this is a great way that you can be enjoying. Right. A great bite that is going to be fun. Uh, it's going to be delicious. It's going to make you think. And this to me is many parts of my life at once, right? It's the cotton yeah. candy when I was a child, and it's the foie gras the day I could afford it for the first time when right. I was 20-something. Well, I'm going to take a bite of this. It's one of my favorite bites in Las Vegas. But as I, before I take that bite, I'm going to ask you... Um, I've always found, you know, some a lot of people talk about celebrity chefs. How often do they get to Las Vegas? How often are they in their restaurants? For me, the mark of a great chef and a great organization is not how often they're in each restaurant, but how well their teams are trained and how, how much responsibility they've put on those teams and allow them to shine on their own. I don't think that's ever been more important than over the past year and a half. What You have one of those great teams, and there are a handful of other chefs that I always mention along with yours, but yours is one of the best. What was it like for you to be away from them for so long? Well, you know, uh, we had to divide and conquer. How was that bite? Oh, this bite's delicious. Yeah, that's why he's not talking it. now. That's why he asked me the question, and now <laughs> I have to use my time on the mic. Listen, uh, I always say that we the people is the three words I love the most about becoming an American. And I think we need to give value to we the people. I always say, and especially in this world of, I, I don't like the word 
celebrity chef. I'm, I'm a, uh, I barely am a cook. I barely know how to run one of these restaurants. <laughs> I'm surrounded by people that know how to do it as good, if not better than me. Here you you saw David Thomas, who is the executive chef, who happens, his family, his mother and dad, she was almost crying, uh, came to visit him in Las Vegas, and she's eating right now outside in the restaurant in Bazaar Meat. Uh, I have Ramon with me, Ramon Martinez, who is right now at Aleo, the Cosmopolitan, making sure that the paellas and the are as good as always. Um, I have here my, my president of the company, Sam, who knows Vegas uh, very well. Um, I'm surrounded by team members. Um, uh, yes, I come two, three, sometimes four times a year. For me, when I come to Vegas, it's always very invigorating and very special, obviously. Every time, and especially when I open more restaurants, uh, it's only so much time you have to dedicate to the people. But I always tell them that the restaurant is not going to be good because me. And because sometimes they put your name right in front. And the restaurant is going to be good because they decide to be good. And, and they take ownership. And so what you describe means that from every dishwasher that puts pride, uh, every cook, every prep cook, every manager, the hostess, the, ma the chefs, the sous chefs, not my restaurant, but every restaurant. Uh, the experiences we get, uh, if something is wrong, it's probably because of the chef. I mean, especially the so-called celebrity <laughs> chef. But if anything is really good, it's because those men and women that sometimes are nameless. Uh, even it's not true. When we have customers, guests that they keep coming, the guests are always talking to me by name and last name of the amazing time they had with this waiter, with this host, with this chef. And this is what gives me joy, that what I built is no uh, egocentric restaurant based on me and my name, but a place where anybody can dream. Mm -hmm. Like the same way when I was 15 and I began working in the kitchens of others, I worked there because they gave me a place to belong. They gave me opportunity to be next to them and serve and learn. And what I'm trying to do, you know, I'm, I'm 52 now. I've been more than 35, 36, uh, 37 years in this industry. What I try to do is to try to give the same window and the same path for learning and belonging to a place in the same way other chefs when I was younger gave to me. And at the end of the day, that's why I'm here. Uh, like I visit my other cities where I have restaurants. Uh, for me, uh, many of these guys, these people living with me 5, 10, 15, 20, 25 years, like Jimmy Pomarol, he's been with me almost 30 years. When I see him here, I know things are going to be fine because he's the one that has been running these places, not me. Um, so does having you back in town mean that maybe we'll see some menu rewrites, some new specials? First of all, I, I, I'm saying this as you've already teased me with one new dish that, um, that you've created for Aleo since you've been in town. So tell me a bit about that, but then tell me what else we might be able to expect from your other restaurants. Does, yeah. If having you here means that you know we'll be tweaking some things. or Well, tweaking is always important. Even I'm a guy that I believe that it's very important to do the things you do better every day. More than coming up with new crazy things every day. Because also when guests come back to a restaurant, very often they come back to um, the dishes they, uh, they ate one or two or three or five years before. And they want to come back to that because that's the anchor that keeps them coming back, right? Obviously, chefs... Restaurant people, food people, we are creative people. And we are every day in front of the kitchen. And, and sometimes we don't create new dishes only for the guests. We create new dishes to keep our motivation going, our creative side flowing. Because it's not going to be very boring keep doing the same thing every single day. So coming up with new things serves more than one purpose. Yes, you do it because you want to always offer they guess new things, especially the ones that want to try new things. But also you do it to keep your teams and yourself on the on the toes and awake and <laughs> right. and making sure that, that you are challenged and that you are having fun creating new things, right? But um, the cheesecake uh, we are talking about cheesecake which is belongs to so many parts of the world right now, right? And everybody knows I'm very chauvinistic about the Spain. Mm-hmm. And I think nobody ever ever blames me for it. But if you want to eat a good cheesecake, 
Man, Spain, we, we, tarta de queso, Spain, we are like the kings of that. Oh, queens, because it's more women that make it than men. And, and now for quite a long time, I've been having this cheesecake that we serve in some of my, we see it here in Bazaar at the, at the Sahara, but you'll see it at the Jaleo, at the Cosmopolitan. And it's this amazing cheesecake that some people will complain. Because they will say, oh, this cheesecake, when I go into it, seems it's liquid. It's like undercooked. Some people can criticize it. These guys don't know how to cook a cheesecake. <laughs> Why is this cheesecake soft and liquid in the center? All right, that's a way. To, I will accept that criticism. Because if you've been used to the cheesecake that you cut and you can <laughs> grab it with your hands and you can even play football if you want to and throw it, <laughs> it's, it's hard. Good for you. I, I'm not going to blame you for you liking that one. But... Chefs like me were here always to push the boundaries, and this cheesecake is fairly uncooked in the middle, which is not uncooked, it's just cooked right. Because I want the, a cheesecake where the cheesecake butter itself becomes the sauce of the cheesecake itself. And this is very fascinating. It's like if you eat uh, scrambled eggs, when they're overcooked, quite frankly, I don't like them. But when you let them runny, it's like the scrambled eggs and the egg itself becomes the sauce of the scrambled eggs itself. And this is... <laughs> Conceptually, it's very unbelievable because it's so much more, be so much better. So this cheesecake is a cheesecake like no other. And it happens that because we are in truffle season, we are in Vegas. Imagine we grate some black truffle and some white <laughs> truffle and some honey and some sea salt on top. Quite frankly, if I fuck up <laughs> cheesecake cooked to perfection with truffles, I just retire tomorrow. So it's coming. I, I send them. Uh, I told them, bring two to my friend Al. <laughs> okay. And, and before this um, podcast is ending, or before you leave Bazaar tonight, I'm, I'm making sure you are eating one and you're taking one or two others to back to your home. You are not going to have to convince me of that. Um, and people will be able to buy that at Haleo or yeah. here at Bazaar? We'll start at Haleo, but Bazaar is going to have a place in another one way or another. Um, usually all the menus I have I mean remember I have right now uh, four restaurants in Vegas obviously Bazaar that seems is three restaurants in one here mm -hmm. in the Sahara but then Haleo which is so special for me because it was bringing Spanish cooking uh, to, to, to the strip was great Spanish chefs here before Julian Serrano has been even he began doing more French cooking which is very amazing that uh, a Spanish chef made a name for himself doing French cooking, even he had a lot of Spanish ingredients. And Serrano, Julian, that even before I met him, for me, when I was a young chef, he was like a, like a person I look after, no? When he had the amazing restaurant in San Francisco before he moved to, to Vegas and then opened Julian Serrano, uh, and then the other Spanish restaurant um, he opened. So, you know, he was a good role model for me. Remember, I came to America when I was 21, and Julian already was... Uh, was a big name yeah. in, in food in, in America, right? Uh, so, so Haleo, and obviously I have China Poblano, which I, uh, China uh, Poblano, which is doing amazing. The, the Chinese Mexican concept I created, bringing to walls that they seem is crazy, but actually is real life. It's the history of Mexico, where Chinese immigrants helped build the railroad, and with cities where you will find. Uh, Chinese and Mexican people living alongside and creating crazy tacos with <laughs> duck tongue. Yeah. Um, oh, I love those duck tongue uh, tacos in the middle. that you do over at and, and then E, which I'm very proud, is the eight ten seed uh, concept I have within the walls of Aleo, which is this tasting menu, which, you know, maybe better or worse restaurants, and that's not up for me to say, but E is super unique, super special with a high-end tasting menu that that I'm very proud of. So, you know, with these four, I cannot believe that they have four restaurants in Vegas. Yeah. And now looking at the future to maybe bring one or two other of my concepts to some of the, okay. of the casinos I am right now. No, or, you know, I have to ask you, what else could you tell me then? Are you able to say anything more than you that? You know, I have uh, Saitinia, which is my, my Greek, which is doing great. I'm opening uh, Saitinia. It's been already over 20 years, a very successful restaurant in D.C. Uh, I'm opening in New York at the new Ritz-Carlton in Nomad. But Saitinia, always I wanted to bring it here because I think it's a space for a place like Saitinia, my great Turkish Lebanese restaurant. Mm -hmm. And 
if it's a place to be creative, that's Vegas. And obviously, I'm, I'm, I'm not lacking ideas like so many other chefs or food people. And I have few, few, few ideas, more than ideas, few concepts that already I cannot wait one day to find the right place and the right corner and the right casino or the right place on the on the strip outside the strip somewhere in Vegas where the locals go to eat too and use often few more places here in the next five ten years so this is on the books and you know you'll be one of the first ones if not the first one to find out well I certainly hope so um, and I hope that they come uh, tell me what just arrived at our table right now before I ask you my next question these well, are beautiful little I love that these is a very delicate brick uh, paste where brick uh, that we cook until it's very crispy and we roll it and we do these tiny, almost one bite to bite cones that we fill in this case with uh, creme fraiche, slightly salty and we put this amazing caviar and when we can we bring it from Spain. It's this little town outside Granada, one of the most beautiful cities in Spain that had this amazing river that goes through outside and there, remember, is where the Arabs uh, establish kind of their headquarters and Granada has this amazing palace going back to the 7th, 8th, 9th century and there we, we had these Asturians that still to this day they are living and thriving in that part of the river and they produce this caviar that is like no other, it's called Rio Frio which produces this caviar, I mean the Asturians they have to be almost 20 years old before they start producing the caviar and what you see here is a very one bite, two bites of caviar and creme fraiche with a little bit of uh, the golden flakes. That is so simple in conception, but it's so delicious, right? So you just gave me the world's greatest piece of cotton candy with foie gras in it. Now the world's tiniest, coolest ice cream cone packed with caviar and creme fraiche. I love it. Um, chef, you know, you uh, before I take this bite, I'll ask you a question again so that I can fill my mouth. Which so now you know. When Al doing. goes on silent, <laughs> that's because I'm he's, eating. Uh, he's munching and yes. his mouth is working and his juices are flowing. Hopefully, yes. And he's having a great time eating. Hopefully, and if he doesn't like it, probably you'll read about it later on. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I love it. I love everything you give me. Um, you know, you, you mentioned Chino Poblano and the history behind it. I remember when you first told me, and and then you were just telling me these great stories about the caviar and where it comes from in Spain. You know, you once told me about Chino Poblano that you love to um, that you love to tell stories through your foods and your restaurants. At that time, I think we were talking about the um, the galleons, the Spanish galleons that went to the Philippines, right? And and those stories, what you tried to tell. Are there any stories that are fascinating you right now that you want to tell through your food that you haven't told yet? Well, uh, stories are endless. In this pandemic, if anything, when I had time, I mean. Obviously, I told you, I dedicated 95% of my time not to my company, ThinFood Group. Even I had good people making sure that we moved through and we get the restaurants afloat, whatever that meant. And, and we look at the future, always, oh my God, are we going to beat this pandemic? But then through World Central Kitchen, that we, I've been in many countries in this pandemic. I've been from Lebanon to India to... Colombia, to Guatemala, to Honduras, to Mexico, to Dominican Republic, to you name it, to Spain, to... I've been in many countries in this pandemic, mm -hmm. uh, mainly feeding people, hospitals, elderly homes, homeless shelters, anybody that needed in emergency when COVID was hitting hard, the communities, right there. In America, I've been in, I don't know, more than 25, 30 states, Navajo Nation. The stories are many, and many of those stories obviously come from watching people. I saw young Navajos um, in the middle of the pandemic when the Navajo Nation was going through a hard time, that they saw entire young generation of Native Americans standing up and taking care of their elders. Wall Central Kitchen, we were there, we partnered with the Navajo Nation, I saw the president of the Navajo Nation right in front uh, filling boxes of vegetables, delivering door to door. But I saw all those young men and women that they said, we are here and we're not going to let our elders alone and we're going to make sure that we fight this pandemic together. This story itself is fascinating. I can tell you the same in so many other corners. 
I learned in the process, we did, I didn't only fit. I feel I was doing almost tourism at the same time because life is always a moment that you learn about other people through food, about their culture. I was in this island, Providencia, that was hit by a very big hurricane, Category 5, wiped out the entire island. Probably 90% of the people lost their home in an island of 8,000 people. And in the process, I was there, and I began learning about dishes because uh, when people lost everything, they had to be creative next to us, us next to them, in how to feed them. And all of a sudden, I learned about dishes. I didn't even read about I didn't even have a clue about this island that is kind of in between Europe, because Spain had something to do, and Africa, because there's a lot of uh, African influence there, and South America, and eating these dishes of coconut milk and yuca and, and pork... Uh, tails and pig's ears, pickle and, and lobster and red snapper that the fishermen just were catching even after the, the hurricane. And all of a sudden, in the middle of um, a hurricane destruction, I was watching how entire community was reconstructing itself, just going to the dishes that is not the traditional dishes that they celebrate in the good times, were the dishes that was helping the communities feed the community in the bad times. Right. And at the time when you talk about resilience, that's what resilience is, that uh, the people always go to the roots to take care of themselves in the good times, to celebrate, mm -hmm. but in the bad times, those stories are fascinating. Uh, the biggest story probably is that um, boys like me in the food business are the ones that seems often we get all the attention. But if you ask me who is feeding America, who is feeding the world, those are not boys like me. Who has been feeding the world in this pandemic, especially, is woman. Uh, it's not like woman feeds us the first time we come out of the bomb of our mothers, right. which is the first time we receive a gift in the form of a tangible. We, we, we receive love in the form of food. Mm -hmm. When our mother feeds us, we're receiving love from her in the form of food. That's why we are also attached to food. That's why food is always a place to go when we feel down. We feel down or we feel yeah. like we need something to inspire us. And when you Food feed has been this way to inspire people through this pandemic in more ways than one. Communities coming together to feed fellow citizens in the worst moments. Those are many of the stories I've been seeing in this pandemic. Um, you are unusual in the fact that you're someone who feeds both the the wealthiest and most powerful people on the planet and they dine in your restaurants and they know you and they love you and you feed the people people when they are at their most vulnerable and their most powerless there aren't a lot of people who do both of those things and who see who interact with both of those groups of people and both of those types of people on a regular basis what have you learned from that? Are we all the same deep down? Are we all the same when, when we're receiving hospitality? This is a good, a good question and, and an important one in, in, in so many ways. I always say that I'm a chef that feeds the few. But I'm a, I'm a chef that I learned I need to be there also for feeding the many. And in this pandemic, we've seen that many, many chefs in the food industry... They put aside their aprons in the fancy restaurants and they put themselves at the service of helping others. Marcus Samuelson, watching him doing the work he did in Bronx mm -hmm. and in New Jersey. Not anymore the Marcus Samuelson of the Food Network, not anymore the Marcus Samuelson of the top restaurants that he's been one of the most creative chefs in America from the days he used to do his high-end Swedish, Dutch, Ethiopian, Dutch... Mm -hmm. the many things this guy has in his blood um, he was there feeding the forgotten communities in the same places he had restaurants Wow! or Tom Colicchio going to the hill trying to help uh, pass bills so the restaurant community could be supported through different incentives and uh, this is fascinating um, and I can keep telling you stories of many people in our industry that they put aside their business and, and they try. And so, so I believe that we realize in this pandemic that, yes, chefs like us, we feed a few. But chefs like us, we, uh, we should and we must be there to feed the many. 
And that is part one of my conversation with Chef Jose Andres. We'll have the rest next week, including a legal history lesson about the classification of the tomato, fruit or vegetable. We'll get back to that next week. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break now. We'll be back with the news. This is Food and Loathing. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. And now the news. <laughs> okay, before we get to the local news, I really want to talk about this blogger, um, Geraldine DeRuiter. Mm. And my, my apologies if I'm mispronouncing her name. I, I was going to skip this, but she's been all over the media for mocking a Michelin-starred restaurant called Bros in uh, Lecce, Italy. And all my friends are just tagging me in the post. You know, it's one of those viral things. It's yeah. going around. Everybody's talking about it. And I'm like, okay, fine. I'll read it. And then I thought about my meal at... E by Jose Andres, because we're talking about Chef Jose this week, and I'm reading this, and I'm wondering what she would have thought of my meals at E by yeah, Jose Andres, yeah, right? Yeah. So before we get started, um, have have you guys read this? Um, and what yes. we're talking about, the blog is from The Everywhereist. The writer, blogger, is Geraldine DeRuiter, and the clickbait headline, because let's face it, it was a bullshit clickbait headline, <laughs> was, we eat at the worst Michelin-starred restaurant. Ever. 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 Yeah. Like, You're not going to believe. She's eaten at every Michelin-starred restaurant ever. <laughs> this one is the worst. <laughs> Fuck off if that's your headline. Let's just start there, okay? But, okay, look. So, here's my question. If you guys have read it, is she a clever satirist smartly poking fun at the pretentiousness of hot cuisine, or is she the culinary equivalent of a clueless hillbilly wandering out of the Museum of Modern Art screeching about how her kids could paint that stuff? Yes. Yes. I think she's a bit <laughs> of both, actually. Yeah. You know, because she's got a good point. They went in there, they had an expectation of being filled up with food, and they didn't have that. You know, it wasn't delivered. You know, they went in there, and they had more of an artful, uh, playful, interpretive yeah. um, experience. So, you know, they did, and, they, and you're paying a lot of money for that. You know, I mean, remember going to, you know, uh, Alinea. Right. I loved it. I loved it. It was theater to me. It excited yeah. me. I had to anticipate what was happening next because they cleared the table to a white, black, blank canvas, and every so often, and there was always something going on. I was in, in I, three hours went by, and it was yeah. like, what just happened? You know. So I get that kind of level of delivery. You know, I mean, you have to get a thin piece of paper and all the foams and all that stuff for somebody that's really not ready. They weren't prepared for it. Yeah. Well, how are you not so, prepared yeah. if you're going to spend that kind of cash and if you call yourself a travel blogger? I mean, this is the problem with bloggers. I mean, like, you need mm -hmm. an editor. You need somebody to tell you to do your freaking research. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, like, what what's wrong with that? And I had the same thing at, at, at the minibar, uh, Jose Andres Place in D.C., it was 12 or something like that. And I can still remember 10 years ago, mm. about three of them. And I don't remember the others, but it was the experience. The dinner was the show. It's not a dinner and show. Yeah. Dinner is the show. Their, their main point was it wasn't dinner. They didn't get filled yeah. up. They got well, six strands of pasta here and there. And they you, go to an, you go to an art museum, yeah. you stand in front of a piece of work. You're not supposed to take pictures of it because the photography's not good, all of that. And you just get to absorb it and get yeah. a feeling and move on. And that's more of what they're delivering at Burroughs, I guess. Is that, am I saying that? Yeah, right? I yeah. guess. I'm not sure. Uh, but the, yes. points, the points she did have were about uh, her uh, party of uh, eight, I think it was, or six. A couple of people with food allergies, a couple with other things that were completely ignored by yeah. the staff. Yeah, you know what? Check in advance on that. It was a snobby rudeness to it. That yeah. I'll, even even though it's coming from a little you know Karenish uh, source, yeah, we uh, you, you can't ignore the fact that someone had to sit there through three courses because they couldn't figure you out know, an alternative for that. Uh, yeah. Ask in advance, first of all. True. But, uh, first of yeah. all, she sounded like an, unage an uneducated hick that went into a restaurant that was either too fucking smart for her to understand or it was just too experimental. Which I admit, that uh, that latter one, that happens to all of us. Both of them happen to yeah. all of us sometimes. Sure, sure. Um, you know, my, my wife, who has great taste, 
finds sometimes finds twist by Pierre Gagnier to be a bit too experimental for her. Mm -hmm. She doesn't trash it. She just says, Hey, I'll take Rick to, to twist <laughs> instead of me. Rich would like to go yes, to twist instead of me. Right. No, no. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's the deal. But hey, look, here's my problem. She, it, be, it began with some, by the way, extremely clever prose. And then it degenerated into the rehashing of these bullshit cartoonish stereotypes. Mm. The portions were too small. There were too many that's... courses. The courses weren't really courses. It was mm. weird. I mean, come on. That's, that's all borrowed from every shitty sitcom or cartoon takedown <laughs> of fine dining that's been published in the last half a century. Yep. I'm pretty sure everyone from Fred Flintstone to Doug Heffernan <laughs> to Ray Barone on, you know, whatever, have all had an episode where people are bitching about that stuff in fine dining. Ooh, she's the everyone. Woman, standing up to what the elite and their silliness i mean look i know that can get you elected in this country but it's not gonna <laughs> stop but, hey you know. too bad for her it's not gonna stop yeah. art evolution experimentation is always going to continue and i don't ever want to stifle it i want to be a, i want to see it whether i like it or i don't that that's that's to be uh, figured out as you go through yeah. but but be a part of it and look you know <laughs> and by the way the weird foam came in a dish that looked like the chef's mouth i had to lick the foam out of the chef's mouth you know what i would have said if i was writing that i would have said i felt like i was making out with the chef that's exactly i would have made it into thing. a hot thing yeah. right that's exactly but what the idea is as i'm reading this i'm just thinking about i used to go into jose's uh, Andres's restaurants and get a croquettes that were served in a sneaker and I love the sneaker yeah. it had laces in it yeah. and it was awesome and uh, you know but what do I go ooh it came in a foot shoe right like ooh it's gross it's a foot like no because I'm not an idiot and when they when he stopped using those I loved them so much I begged his staff to sell me one mm -hmm. I have one in my house I later found out that it was um, designed by Salma Hayek's brother by the way oh that's really power. cool um other thing I've got to say, like, this is not food. This is not a meal. Honestly, when somebody says that shit to me, you sound like a music critic in 1986 saying that hip hop is not music because it doesn't conform to what you think music is. They're I talking, to, not singing. Yeah, I used to be that asshole in 1986. Yeah. I was wrong, okay? <laughs> so, um, yeah, I'm sorry. And, and here's my basic thing. The, the real problem I have with this woman, and I don't know her, I'm sure she's a lovely lady, but never trust a writer who takes joy in a bad review. That person is almost always a desperate asshole trying to pull themselves up by pulling down a more successful person. I have written a lot of bad reviews. They're fun to write. They really are. But if you, if you really enjoy bringing somebody else down, then you're a dick. You're John Curtis. <laughs> Look in the mirror. Hey, hey. <laughs> John Curtis. Oh, I'm, hey, man, I'm going to pass. Okay. So, um, and by the way, the one exception to the rule I just said is if your name is Pete Wells and the restaurant is in Times Square and it's run by an uber-rich TV star. Yeah, that <laughs> yeah, shit's just that, funny. That was great, yes. <laughs> Donkey sauce. <laughs> <laughs> On the local front, Marigold, we hardly knew ye. The burger and lobster restaurant at Resorts World suddenly closed last week. I was walking by the other day. The furniture's still there. All the signage was down. Uh, on the other hand, Caviar Bar is up and running. Bar Zazu's looks like it's uh, just about ready to rock. So things are still happening there. Yeah, Bar Zazu's open. There are a lot more openings than closings over at Resorts World. We we got to make that very clear. I yeah. know vultures are looking for some bones to pick on right now, yeah. right? Um, going back to our last conversation, I guess, I think they've become, <laughs> I think they're circling prematurely. I mean, there's a lot of good stuff opening up over at Resorts World. Bar Zazu, Fuhu, Caviar Bar, Eight Cigar Bar, Carver Steaks right around the corner. Mm -hmm. um, look, I liked Marigold, I really did, um, but I'm going to be too busy exploring the other spots to miss it. Hey, look, man, look at Red Rock. There's a lot of shuffle in the beginning sometimes in certain casinos. So that's what's going on there. But yeah. I'm always excited to see what lands, you know, just spin the wheel, man. <laughs> yeah. And um, look, if you miss Marigold, go to Holstein's, right? Same people. Absolutely. And I love Holstein's. Yeah, for sure. Oh, speaking of Holstein's, Zay Andreas served me a Holstein cow, a milk cow that was like nine years old when slaughtered. But we'll get maybe next week. I'll talk oh, more about man. that. Um, Jealous. Also in the news, developer Jay Dapper is a man of simple tastes, good like man. you, Rich. Yes, I like Jay. He wants good old-fashioned coffee shop in the Hunt Ridge neighborhood. 
and he is the guy redeveloping the Huntridge Theater. So um, he's there a lot. <laughs> he's a great guy. <laughs> he, you know, so many people tell me good things about him. I've always enjoyed sitting down and talking with him. He's launched a contest to find a tenant, and he's asked some of our friends to help judge it. So I went and um, I met with Dapper. As I sat down, he told me um, Steve Sisolak had left the chair about 15 minutes before I was. <laughs> so uh, I've, I, I felt I provided some comic relief with the following conversation <laughs> that I had with Mr. Dapper. You know, when I was growing up in Vegas, Las Vegas was always a place where you could walk into any casino in town. And when you asked somebody where the coffee shop was, instead of them pointing you in the direction of the Starbucks, they were pointing you in the direction of the 24-hour cafe. You know, it was a diner. It was a delicatessen. It was a, what, what we used to know as a coffee shop. So it was the place where you could get a French dip at 8 o'clock in the morning and you could get steak and eggs at, you know, eight o'clock at night. And it was the place that people really loved to go to eat. And the food was inexpensive, but it was unbelievably good. And it was one of those things that you could just count on at every casino in town. Over the years, that kind of dissipated and went away. One by one, these coffee shops closed. And now today, when you walk into a casino and you say, hey, where's the coffee shop? They're pointing you, you know, to Starbucks. And so, I have a love for those kinds of places. I go to other uh, cities like LA and San Diego and San Francisco or New York especially, and they're full of these great places that are, you know, like they're kind of from the past. And so the Hundred Shopping Center always had a lunch counter, and that lunch counter was a place that I really wanted to preserve but it was connected to the pharmacy. And to find somebody that could run a pharmacy and a lunch counter <laughs> together, it's like almost impossible. So what we ended up doing was we, um, as we you know, redeveloped the shopping center, I knew that I wanted to have a new diner or a delicatessen or a coffee shop in there, but I didn't know who, who it was gonna be. I didn't know, you know what concept I wanted to pick. Was it more of a coffee shop, more of a diner? And when I say coffee shop, I don't mean the place where you go get coffee, you know? And so over time, um, I started to get to know Jolene at Vegas Test Kitchen. And I loved the concept or the idea that there was this cool place where, you know, a guy that's cooking pizzas in his garage can all of a sudden be cooking pizzas and you can go check them out, you know, the next month. And, you know, then all of a sudden, two months after that or six months after that, if his pizzas are really good, you know, he ends up in a shopping center actually having a real brick and mortar. Yeah. And so that kind of got my juices flowing and I started to think about, you know, how cool it would be to give somebody the keys to a restaurant. And so during the pandemic, when, you know, every restaurateur in town, the ones that survived, you know, when you see guys that had like a, a regular sit down restaurant and they were figuring out how to do to goes and how to do deliveries and how to keep people in Las Vegas fed, I thought it was a really, you know, like people talked a lot about like first responders and people were patting um, like people who worked in grocery stores on the back. But nobody really talked about, like, the guy that was working at the Roberto's Taco Shop or... Yeah. And, you know. and sadly, they took a lot of abuse as well. Oh, for sure. I mean, that, those were hard jobs at the time. I mean, and they were working, you know, in an environment that was... Every day was different, you know, how, how to navigate it. Especially the owner of, that, of, the, of those restaurants. So I really started to think about, you know, how I could give back to those people. And I thought, like, how cool it would be to say you know, hey, there's this opportunity and, you know, you can literally dream up whatever, you know, whatever you've got in your mind and we'll, we'll pick you. Like if you've got the best idea, the best concept, the best menu, we're going to literally award somebody a restaurant and then we're going to work with them to design it, to create it. And every single piece and part of that is going to be basically given to them. So your ideas need to be submitted by February 1st. Qualified applicants will be invited to pitch their ideas and business plans to a panel of judges that include Mark Marone, Corey Harwell, John Simmons, all local restauranteurs we know and love. Uh, the five best will take part in a cook-off of Vegas Test Kitchen. One winner will get a brand new, newly designed, built, 3,000 square foot custom designed restaurant. Fully bought out, furnitures, fixtures, they're valuing it at $950,000. I mean, look, 
let's be honest, you're still gonna have to pay rent on this at some point. Yeah, but there's yeah. a lot of a lot of good stuff that he's doing. He's got um, Yesco donating thirty thousand dollars signed to it. He's got um, I think Dollar Loan Center is gonna come in and buy a whole bunch of um, yeah. gift cards and give them out. So you know, it's like a contest. You you want a certain type of restaurant? I say cool, open it up to the public, right? I, I love the way he's going, man. Yeah. Cool. I think it's really the centerpiece of that whole thing is going to be the newly revived Hunt Ridge Theater, which will be the home of the Soho Playhouse, the 60-year-old off-Broadway venue in Soho in New York. Oh, that's cool. Run by a Darren Lee Cole, uh, who is uh, will be doing a podcast fairly soon called the Soho Playhouse Podcast, produced by yours truly. So uh, <laughs> I love watch that a space synergy, for that. Man. I yeah, love I like that, that synergy. And we had uh, uh, Jay on the, uh, the Plaza Podcast on the corner of Main Street. So it, it all comes together like that. Awesome. Um, Rich, do we have time for you to get to your... Real quick here. Texas news? Texas Roadhouse, uh, St. Rose Parkway in Henderson. This is a national chain, Kentucky-based. They have another location on the way. How do we feel about the mid-range chain steakhouses? Texas Roadhouse, Outback, uh, Longhorn, which is a cut above the sizzlers and ponderosas of my uh, youth. Uh, and they can be good. They can be not so good. Well, I mean, look, Rick, you're the guy that works for a steakhouse company, <clears throat> yep. so you would be the best guy to ask. My thing is, I only eat two or three steaks a year. Yeah. I want them to be super expensive, the priciest. I want to know the name of the cow. Uh, but I don't <laughs> have a problem with, I mean, like if somebody's eating a steak, you know, every week or they're having three or four steaks a month, then I think a, a solid chain is great for them if they're doing yeah, it well. Yeah, it's, 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 it's a good it, it serves a certain demographic is what it is, you know? Yeah. So, and that demographic is, I'm not in that demographic because yeah. I, I there's no need or reason for me to eat. I have to say places like that saved my bacon when I was on the road as a radio correspondent okay. going all over the place because I would love to go to the cute little family mom and pop place, sure. but I can't risk uh, being laid up in my hotel room for a couple of days with mm-hmm. frots. So I know a, a national chain is going to have hygiene standards right. that uh, right. will, no, uh, and, I, and a dependable I agree with menu. You 100%. Like when you're in the desert, food desert, you have to you have to go where, you know, you recognize. Yeah, them. even if it's a big old golden arch. Absolutely. He always takes it a <laughs> bit too far, I'm, doesn't I'm he? Fasting. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Time now for our cannabis review. I went in and I got these peanut butter cookies from Evergreen Organics, mm-hmm. and um, we're gonna t- take these out. Oh. Well, they are cookies. These are some peanut butter cookies. There's a half. I tore one off. Here's the interesting, the most interesting part about this is that this is a 20 milligram dose. Whoa. Okay. You almost never see a 20 milligram dose no, of anything of THC. Uh, so if you want a standard 10 milligram, you have half. These are decent sized cookies, a little smaller than a smaller than a coaster, larger than a silver dollar. Yep. Um, maybe the size of an old Kennedy yeah. silver dollar, if people <laughs> remember that shit. That was a Kennedy half um, dollar. Yeah. Half dollar. You're right. Yeah. Um, so. <laughs> Now let's let's take a bite of them. They're, they're nice. They, 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 they got feel nice, nice texture. and gooey, you know. Yeah, nice texture. And all you can smell when you open up the bag is peanut butter and weed. <laughs> problem, <laughs> problem is for me, all I can taste, unless I get a peanut butter chip, all I can taste is weed. You know? It just tastes. And I think this might be a situation where I just I don't like baked goods with cannabis edibles because they just taste like you're fucking eating a plant. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's just my own personal hang-up. You know, I don't, I don't know. But what well, do you think, Rich? They do well in gummies. Um, I agree with you. It's very weedy. Would that be a situation where, if you're not smoking anymore because you don't want smoke in your lungs, but you still remember the the joy of the weed You'd taste? Love them. You'd yeah. love these. I yeah, I, I guess that would be it. If you're if you are a big weed fan, and if you like flour, then I think you're not going to be <laughs> as upset. Yep. If you smoke flour, because when I do smoke, I, I vape. I don't smoke flour. Yeah. So for me, just that weed taste is just not uh, not a thing. But it, it's a quality product. I like the fact that they're mixing it up a little with the twenty milligram. Uh, dose, but you could still have a quarter if you wanted to microdose with five milligrams. It's not hard to break these things. Don't start dipping these in milk and eating them by the dozen. Yeah, no. that cereal milk, <laughs> that milk's gonna taste good. It's yeah, hydrogenated <laughs> fat in there because, yeah, hydrogenated palm kernel. See, that's where the softness comes from. But yeah. anything hydrogenated, I kind of okay. shy away from. Okay, so we're shying away from these. Yep. Cool. Well, that's it for this episode of Food and Loathing. A huge thank you to Jose Andres. We will have more from that interview next week. Thanks to Jay Dapper for finding some time to speak with me. Thank you, Rick, for coming back. Always a pleasure, Alfred. It's great. 
And please tell a friend about Food and Loathing. Say nice things about us, especially on Apple Podcasts. We do want your feedback either way, though. Your likes, your retweets. Find it all, everything you need to know about all that at Al's website, theneonmohawk.com. And you can reach us direct by email, info at foodandloathing.vegas. With producer Rich Johnson and Rick Moonen, I'm Al Mancini. Stay hungry. Stay hungry.